podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Chelsea fans. Welcome back to the Son of Chelsea podcast. Hope you're doing well and keeping safe on this Friday, close to the end of another week, the first full week of the World Cup in Qatar. There's been a lot of football. There's been a lot of nil-nils in the competition, but there's been some good stuff as well. Uh, Getting close to Christmas as well. So if you're doing your Christmas shopping, uh, best of luck. Uh, Particularly if you're one of those mad people who goes out and actually does the shopping physically nowadays. I I am someone who just can't do that anymore. I I have to go online, have to do a bit of Amazon, have to do a bit of Black Friday sales. Um, But none of that nonsense. Let's get into the football. And I'm glad to say I've got a guest here today uh, with me, a good friend of mine, uh, someone who I've enjoyed working with over a year and a half, I think it is now, uh, over at Football London. Um, He's someone that's very popular online and rightly so for his great work. Adam Newson, chief Chelsea writer, head Chelsea writer, Lee Chelsea. I, even though I've worked with you, Adam, for I still I, I think I've probably got that wrong. But you you write <laughs> about Chelsea for Football London. Um, welcome to the show, mate. How you doing? Thank you. I'm good, man. I'm just looking. I look tired. So, uh, so yeah, I must say I'm enjoying the World Cup break, trying to sort of catch up on a bit of rest after what was a ridiculous schedule we had in uh, October and November. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Before we do get going, uh, Son of Chelsea is a part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. If you are listening on the podcast, thank you so much for tuning in. If you're watching on my YouTube channel, uh, thank you as well for tuning in. Hit that subscribe button and the notification bell so you don't miss any of the uploads. And if you want to listen to it in audio form, really easy to do. Go to your favourite podcast provider, just search Son of Chelsea and the feed will be there. Uh, but let's get into it, Adam. Obviously, as we've just referenced the World Cup break Um you know, it's given us all the time to kind of reflect, take a bit of a break, have a breather, focus on some international football, get away from Chelsea, which was not a very nice environment by the time things had wrapped up at St. James's Park on the Saturday uh, before the World Cup had started. Three consecutive defeats in the Premier League. I think it was like four or five in about as many games if you add in the League Cup defeat as well. Things that had started well for Graham Potter drastically went wrong. I mean, just watching that last run before we did get into the World Cup to start off with. Um, what was your sort of feelings about that period and, and sort of the problems that emerged for Graham Potter? It's, it's difficult to analyse this probably fairly because of of the situation that Graham Potter has faced at Chelsea so far. Um, the run of fixtures Chelsea had was relentless um, and that would have been very difficult to navigate with a fully fit squad. You add in, you know, key injuries to Reese James, who is, well, I was going to say he's Chelsea's best right wing back, but it's probably Chelsea's right flank um, in in its entirety. You include Wesley Fofana. Uh, you throw in Angola Kante. Obviously, Kulabali missed a few games, um, and uh, you know other knocks as well. It wasn't easy for Potter to really, you know, Ben Chilwell, of course. Um, it wasn't easy for Potter to settle upon anything. In terms of a settled side, in terms of a, a regular sort of structure, he has been chopping and changing systems, personnel. Um, and I just think by the end of that run, sort of things caught up with Chelsea a little bit. Um, might have been fatigue, a bit of mental fatigue as well. 
Um, and of course, you know, defeats are not enjoyable. I think we all want to see Chelsea win games. I want to say I'm surprised at the level of vitriol almost online. Um, but I probably am not surprised at this stage. Um, but it has created a very, very negative atmosphere around the club at the moment. Um, you know, there does seem to be a, a very real determination from a lot of Chelsea fans to completely switch off um, at the moment. And I, I can understand that to an extent. Um, but, you know, when Chelsea come back from the World Cup break, there is going to be a need to at least go into the games against Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest on New Year's Day, you know, with a bit more of a positive mindset. We'll hopefully have Reese James back. We'll hopefully have Wesley Fofana back. And you just hope that things improve for Graham Potter um, because, as I say, there's so much negativity at the moment. It does feel like he's basically sort of swimming against the tide at the minute. And, and that can't be easy for him because, as we know, this is his first big job. We, like, because I think the last time... I had you on the channel um it was deadline day or around deadline day time of course took i think was still in charge i don't think chelsea had signed a bamiang properly then and zakaria we didn't even know was going to be a thing until like the closing hours of that window <laughs> um and i i probably say this too much for people who listen to me and i've said it on podcasts i've been on if you don't have conversations with people about chelsea for like three months things drastically change and obviously Tuchel got sacked we know how that happened you did a lot of great reporting at the time I definitely suggest anyone go on Football London read those articles sort of the in-depth kind of breakdown of of where it went wrong for Tuchel at Chelsea Um, but we've had conversations since obviously working together about what this kind of mood is around Chelsea because it's sure losing games consistently at Chelsea is freakish it's not the norm like losing this amount of games in a short space of time but even after Potter's first game in charge against Salzburg, you could feel that negativity growing. And, and you know, my theory, as I think maybe you share, maybe you feel a little bit differently, is I think is just the madness of 2022 and the exhaustion of 2022 catching up with everyone. Um, but quite clearly, if Chelsea are winning games, it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter, does it? No, but I think you, you raise a valid point, Um in the sense of this year has been a year like no other supporting and following Chelsea Football Club. Um, you know, I think a lot of psychologists would tell you that humans aren't very good at coping with change uh, as a general rule. And there has been a lot of change at Chelsea. And for some supporters, and I don't want to just say this is a younger element of, of the fan base. I do think, you know, there's going to be some older supporters who feel like this too. There's almost a difficulty now identifying with the Chelsea um, as is. And I think to an extent that's understandable. Um, and I say, I saw this on, on Twitter and I can't claim it was mine, but it was a very good quote of, you know, Chelsea, it's no longer the Chelsea of Roman Abramovich, but it's not yet the Chelsea of Todd Bowley. I do think that is true because there is still a lot of work going on at Chelsea behind the scenes. Um, we know the recruitment team's being put in place. There's a lot of restructuring going on Aside from that, in terms of the business side of things, um, Chelsea are not where they will be in a year under Bowley. There will be a far more slicker operation then and hopefully a bit more sort of just a stronger structure in place and a clearer idea of where the club will be going for people to to understand and and sort of latch on to. Because at the moment, it does feel that everyone's a little bit confused, a little bit concerned. Um, 
you know, can't quite can't quite identify with Graham Potter, can't quite identify with the team. And there's going to come a point when hopefully that changes. Um, and to do that, yes, of course, Chelsea need to be winning games because that is what we're all here for at the end of the day. We want to see Chelsea win and, and win trophies. But to get to that point is going to be a journey. And at the moment, I just think there's a lot of, of say, confusion and, and just difficulty for some people to, to work out what Chelsea really are at the moment. And from that perspective, I can understand why it's easy for negativity to build because, you know, who wants to watch Chelsea lose games, uh, especially when it's happening on a weekly basis. Especially in the manner of those last few games. I think that there has been a real lack this season of joy watching Chelsea. And, I, you know, I think you have to include Tuchel's last few games within that as well. I think already people are trying to revise history a bit uh, with those first few weeks of the season. There were some dreadful displays um, that made it really unfun watching Chelsea in the first few weeks of the season. I mean, uh, how many games this season? I mean, you, we've both of us have watched all of the games. Um how many have been really convincing wins? I mean, I can think of maybe one or two. Maybe the AC Milan home win. I mean, I know people will probably caveat the AC Milan away win, Wolves at home. Um, I mean, other, the, on scoreline, there could be some more emphatic wins, but I think there's been few games where I've come out of it really infused about Chelsea and what they're doing, the direction they're going in. And I think it's very difficult for fans even who are a bit tired about this year, but want to be a little bit more open-minded to, to Graham Potter and want to see him do well, don't want to see him fail. Um, when they're seeing the Arsenal performance, when I was at that game, we, when we were both at that game, how miserable it was and how little optimism there was against a bitter rival who Chelsea have got used to beating at Stamford Bridge and seeing the, the polar opposite of moods around both sets of supporters that day, Newcastle, the lack of optimism there. I think the Man City defeat I don't want to get used to saying you know Chelsea losing I'm getting used to Chelsea losing but it's that's a defeat I think more people can take because you can look at it and go Chelsea created good opportunities on another day if we take our chances it goes in a different direction there was I think I referenced like multiverse right there was like there's no multiverse for me or no like alternative game in the Arsenal and Newcastle one it's either a draw or we lose like there's not I can't I couldn't see in either of those games how Chelsea win because we didn't create many opportunities and I think the point you make about people not really knowing what to do about Chelsea at the moment you know I referenced in a piece about Star Wars and like how I think there's a conflict of generations around Star Wars fans at the moment. Like some are clinging on to the nostalgia of the past. Some want something new. Some just want to have stuff referenced back to them constantly. Or some are just done with it. And I think that very much uh, relates to Chelsea. For Potter, right? I mean, I think the, the cultural battle is so huge. Um, but when he does return, when we do return against Bournemouth uh, on the 27th, I mean, what are those kind of key things that you're looking at at the moment and, and sort of pinpointing and saying these are the things that he needs personally to improve on? Not just we know the outside factors, we know the injuries, we know the, the tiring schedule, you know, all those things that have been thrown onto him. Any coach, I think, would deal um, would struggle to deal with. Just as a coach from what you've analysed so far, what do you think of those key things he needs to improve on at Chelsea? Well, I think, firstly, I am going to say... You know, I think you you and I are probably more of the same view that this is going to be a process and, and we've kind of accepted that that is going to take time. However, within that, I do think Graham Potter has to improve on certain aspects. As you say, I don't think he's completely blameless and, and doesn't you know get a free pass for Chelsea's defeats recently. But I think probably one of the big things that I, I genuinely believe he needs to do, and this isn't necessarily, a, it's not particularly a coaching thing, it's 
more how he presents himself as the head coach of Chelsea Football Club. Um, Graham Potter is, by all accounts, you speak to anyone around uh, around Chelsea, around the training ground, you know, he's, he's a very nice man. His staff are very good people. There is a very open um, atmosphere being fostered down at Cobham in that first team building, which, look, let's not pretend it's been the case with every Chelsea head coach. I mean, there's you know been far more combative personalities in, in that first team building um, who have put people on edge. But with Graham Potter, that, that doesn't appear to be the case at all. However, to be the head coach of Chelsea Football Club, I do think he has to take a bit more of an authoritative approach with things. Um maybe dial down the complete honesty. Um, you know, no Chelsea fan wants to watch them be completely outplayed by Arsenal and then hear that, well, you know, Arsenal deserve to win that fair play to them. Good luck. Um, you, you have to... And look, Thomas Tuchel would always speak the truth as well, but he spoke it in a way that didn't necessarily undermine Chelsea. Um, look, he spoke many times about Manchester City being ahead of Chelsea, but Chelsea closing the gap for 90 minutes. You know, And say, there are ways to talk about the truth that don't probably undermine you as Chelsea head coach. And I think that's something that Potter has to improve on. Um, I think he has to try and settle upon a team um, that he wants to take forward for the rest of the season. Um, and I think he has to try and settle upon a structure. There may be some difficulties doing that, depending on injuries. And we don't know quite yet how players will come back from the World Cup. Um But the chopping and changing, it's not working well just yet. So... I think he probably does have to settle upon a system that may not be his ideal system, may not be exactly how he wants Chelsea to play in, in the next two and three years, but it's probably going to be enough to get Chelsea to a certain level this season, hopefully top four, get results. And then in the summer, there's going to be a lot of big decisions to make, of course, about this squad, but get to that summer point and then start to maybe you know begin the revamp in, in earnest because... Chelsea can't keep losing games every week because it is just going to put more and more pressure on him, even though at the moment all the indications are that, that Bowling and, and Bedade Bali are very much in this for the longer haul with him. I know obviously you were out in the US over the summer, you know, following the camp, following, you know, Thomas Tuchel's grumpy attitude, which kind of uh, foreshadowed the end. Um, but obviously there, there was there were also the owners there, as you just mentioned, you know, Todd Bowley, Bedade Bali were around they were doing promotional photos um with the la dodgers and i think that some reporters maybe got a chance to speak to them or you know just they they were we saw the photos of them speaking to the squad if i remember rightly like so it was it's interesting to see how public they were compared to say the previous ownership it was just complete contrast um assessing and what you're hearing and and kind of the the first few months of them and obviously making this huge decision so early on with graham potter and, and replacing thomas tuchel how have you found what, what they've done? Because I, I, I think that there is an understanding of how unique the takeover was, how short the period was into the summer. But he's, Bowley in particular, because he's the name that's brought up so regularly because he's a public face. Um, how have you found their decisions? Because they have been questioned very heavily, not just by Gary Neville, but also by Chelsea supporters. I, th- I do think it's difficult for them. Um, as you say, the sanctions were so... So it was so difficult to navigate because they couldn't do what normal ownership groups do and, and sort of really settle in and, and do maybe get things lined up because you know they had to wait, they had to stay patient. And they did start sort of at the back of the pack in terms of the summer. They managed to force their way to the front very publicly with, with transfers and targets. And, you know, I think a lot of people come the end of the transfer window were very pleased with what Chelsea did. Um there has been some revisionism now that it was an awful window, which 
it is what it is, I guess. But um, but I think you know that they, they they are trying, they are desperately trying to put together a Chelsea Football Club that will be successful over a period of time. Um, you know, I wrote a piece the other day about Pep Guardiola staying at Manchester City and how that's just awful for the rest of the Premier League in general. But Chelsea have finished consistently miles off Manchester City over the last five years of the Roman Abramovich era. The closest they got, I think, was 19 points behind. Um, and with Guardiola staying, that gap isn't going to be closed simply by spending lots of money because City can do that as well. Um, so you do have to attack it a bit differently. And I think that's the route that Bowling and, and Ibali are going. They want to build towards something. They want to try and develop a team over two or three years that can get back to the top of the Premier League and, and compete in the Champions League. Um, but they are very much at the beginning of that process. They are still getting you know, their hires in. They're still getting their guys, basically, that they want to be sort of leaving things to. Um, but as I say, it's difficult because they have been criticised a lot by people who are paid to give their opinion. Um, Hardy's two for five dollar breakfast bake goodness into your morning. Choose a biscuit with sausage and egg, biscuit and gravy, or French toast dips. Any two, just five dollars. Hardy's goodness in the making. These items only. Price and participation may vary. Tax not included. Maybe not always the most informed opinion uh, on it, but I think it's 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 kind of how I feel with Graham Potter. Actually, I think until we get to the end of this season, really. It's difficult to form hard views on everything because we don't know how things are going to play out. We don't know if Graham Potter will win a will win an FA Cup. It, I mean, it doesn't look likely right now, but we don't know how things will improve in the second half of the season. We don't know how the recruitment team will go into next summer. There's so much unknown um, that I don't want to form really, really strong opinions on anything just yet in terms of Bowley and, and Potter because it, I think it's too soon. So, so far, I think they're trying to do the right things. We'll see how it works out in the next few months, and and you could probably form stronger sort of views on it based on on how things work out. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I think particularly on the ownership, it's not a short term thing. It's not a signing that comes in and you hope has a big impact straight away. It's it's very different. You have to look at it from a larger scale, and you know because it impacts the club. It Im- impacts the whole club. It doesn't just impact the first team. Can I kind of just guys interrupt you on that? I think. And this isn't any criticism of Roman Abramovich at all, um, because we know Chelsea have, have had great success under Roman Abramovich, but there was always very much a focus on the team and that within the club, the power belonged to a very select group of individuals. Now, Todd Bowley and Clearlake have come in and, have, and a lot of these individuals have moved on. So in an essence, they're trying to restructure a club rather than just be focused on the team. If, if that quite makes sense. So there is a lot of work to do because the way Abramovich ran Chelsea isn't how 90% of football clubs work. So in that respect, there is a lot of work for Bowley and Clearlake to do. And as you say, this is a long-term thing for them. It's definitely a long-term thing for Todd Bowley. There's an emotional side of it, which I don't think people have quite appreciated yet. You know, he didn't, he didn't have to do this, basically. He didn't have to, to put money into this club. He chose to do it and he will want them to be successful. So, um, so yeah, sorry to interrupt, but that, I think that's an important thing to realise that that there is a lot of work to, to bring Chelsea in line with other European super clubs in terms of the structure of it all within. Yeah, I think that that's an absolutely fair point. And, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things that maybe people 
don't want or don't like because you know Chelsea it's, it's been the instant gratification club for the past 20 years um, and to be told to be conditioned in that way you know I, I don't think this is nonsense I think this is true I think supporters of clubs have a lot of similarities with each other but I think the way we view the sport is we're conditioned by what we see very naturally if you see one coach get 20 years Man United fans and Arsenal fans are probably used to that style if you see coaches consistently sacked and the byproduct of that is is improvement and silverware you think that is the way we do things um so even if it is like not subconscious but it's like it's just a i think it's a it's a natural jerk reaction with chelsea fans like it's what we do it's it's whenever a coach starts struggling we instantly think well he's you know he's gonna be out the door soon um you know because that's that's sort of the way we've been conditioned uh, just before we go into transfers, which is, I think, the right place to end, because I think a lot of people are sort of interested heading into January, because it looks like it may be a, a bit busier of a month than it usually is for Chelsea in recent years. Um, I just want to go into sort of the thinking behind appointing Graham Potter, because I, I find this quite interesting, and I know you wrote about it at the time, because, you know, a lot of the perception of Todd Bowley is, you know, he's this American guy coming in, he wants to sign Cristiano Ronaldo, he wants the superstars, he wants to turn Chelsea into this, he wants to ch- turn Chelsea into that. But Graham Potter is kind of the antithesis of that. He's he's the complete opposite of a profile that Chelsea would have gone for under Abramovich. And I just find it fascinating the thinking behind doing that because it is in itself a risk. You know, you're bringing someone in who's done some very good work, but at clubs that are culturally so far apart from what Chelsea are. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think Graham Potter gets... Well, I'm pretty 99% sure Graham Potter doesn't get the Chelsea job if, if Roman Abramovich is, is still owner. Um I mean, the thinking behind it was very much of they want the head coach to be very involved in in the club and, and what they do. And ultimately, look, we know why the relationship between Thomas Tuchel and, and the board broke down. Um, it was because Tuchel, Thomas Tuchel liked Chelsea as was under Abramovich. He liked that he was left alone. He liked that there wasn't different you know, conversations being had that he felt he had to get involved in. He was the head coach. He handled the football side of it day to day. Fantastic. Leave me alone. That's what Tickle liked. Now, Todd Bowley and, and, and Badadi Bali by the club and Clear Lake. And there's a lot more conversation. And I don't think that necessarily is a bad thing, um, especially from a football perspective, because if Todd Bowley had bought the club, decided, no, I'm the big cheese. I can do what I want. I'm going to go and sign Cristiano Ronaldo that probably would have led to a lot more issues. Um, the fact that he lent on Tuchel, wanted Tuchel's input, I don't think is a bad thing. It has been portrayed as why should Thomas Tuchel speak to these guys who don't know anything about football? Well, my argument is because they don't know anything about football, it's quite useful if the person who does is actually going to speak to them. Um, so ultimately, Tuchel didn't like the sort of that working approach, fair enough. And and the relationship with, with the ownership broke down. Now, Graham Potter is, is seen as someone who is going to be far more willing to work in that environment, willing to have discussion, willing to collaborate, willing to to, to sort of be part of a, a bigger unit um, where there is, you know, openness and and not every decision is going to have to be made by him and he will trust other people. And again, hopefully in time, this will all work out with the recruitment team Chelsea bring in, that Potter is it's all aligned and it will work. Um, but ultimately Potter's personality, I think, is far, far far less combative than Thomas Tuchel's probably far more malleable in terms of what Chelsea want to become um, 
and and let's not pretend he's not a bad coach. I mean, he's enjoyed very you know relative success at the clubs he has worked with. Um, the constant criticism of you know of well he hasn't won a trophy. Well, he, he was managing Brighton. I mean, unless he won an FA Cup, which would have been absolutely huge, or a League Cup like that, that is a huge, huge thing for a club like Brighton. And and yeah, he didn't do it. But to come in and just go, well, he hasn't won anything, is is probably unfair given the clubs he's actually worked at. And I'm pretty sure he won something in Sweden. So, um, but you know that that's the thinking that Potter is a very good coach. And he is a very good person for for what Chelsea want to build, which is why uh, which is why he was brought in. Um, and I say now he's probably got to step up to the challenge a bit more of of being the head coach of Chelsea Football Club for January. Um, I think the big sort of talking points, you know, I know I think we both shared the opinion over Ronaldo, uh, so probably don't want to waste too much time on that because we've both written and <laughs> spoken about it enough. Uh, my last podcast we touched on the Ronaldo thing, so just quickly, Adam. Should Chelsea sign Ronaldo in January? No, 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 no. I've made my opinion very clear on this in work calls. We've discussed it as well. No, absolutely not. I just think it would cause far too many problems, more, far, far, far more problems than it would solve. Maybe if we were able to play a 4-4-3 formation, then we'd bring him in, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately not. Uh but let's get into those transfer targets. I think the first one that comes to mind actually won't be signing in January, but will be arriving, we think, in 2023. And that's Christopher Nkunku, who's obviously got an injury problem at the current point. Uh, uh, I think a ligament problem where he, he's obviously missed the World Cup for France. Won't be back to around January, February time, I think. But it still seems like Chelsea are going ahead with this deal. Um, it's a massive one. Uh, I instinctively have flashbacks cold sweats to another exciting leipzig forward um try and calm my nerves uh, adam because i i have to say it that was my gut instinct when we started being linked to Nkunku. yeah well it seems the outline of, of a deal is very much in place now for next summer um there was some talk about maybe trying to bring it forward until january but i don't think that's going to happen partly because of his injury but also because leipzig uh are still in the champions league um I mean, I, I wouldn't, ha- I don't have the same, to be honest, I didn't have any, I didn't really have any misgivings about Timo Werner until he arrived and then realised quite soon on this isn't going to work. Um, I think what, what goes in Christopher Nkunku's favour is that technically he's probably on another level to Timo Werner. He doesn't require 40 yards of space to run into to be really effective. He's, he's excellent in tight spaces with the ball. He's very intelligent with his movement. Um, he is just a very well-rounded footballer and and ultimately it's very it's difficult almost to be excited about an attacking player arriving at Chelsea because we've been burned so many times before but you'd like to think he has the skill set that is very adaptable to the Premier League that can be he can he's a player who could be using different positions across the front line depending on on the sort of game state um and ultimately he may be a player that can unlock a couple of other players because of his ability um it's a big price tag that's going to be on him um and yes, we do have the consideration it's the Bundesliga, but I think you also have to look at his performances in the Champions League as well. He's he's had some very big performances in the Champions League against Premier League sides as well. So um, I'm cautiously optimistic when it comes to, to Nkunku. Mason Mount, uh, obviously contract talks are a big thing at the moment. They tied up Rhys James. We felt that Mason was kind of the second part of that. There were some kind of scare stories before the World Cup about 
it not progressing that well and in other reports saying that it had progressed um are we more on the positive side with him I, i suspect we are right i mean it seems like on both sides there'd be a willingness to get this done yeah i mean i'd be more on the positive side um the noises i've heard for a little while are essentially that Mason is is probably hesitant or more hesitant to sign as long a deal as the likes of Armando Breuer and, and Rhys James have signed. You know, I think they both signed six-year deals. That isn't that ordinary um, in, in European football. You know, usually it's, it's five at the most. And I think that's maybe a bit of a sticking point for Mount. Um, maybe understandably so. You know, it's a contract that we should take him, you know, through his peak years if it was six years. So I can understand that. Um but yeah, he he is a guy who's been at Chelsea his whole career. He loves the club. He is Chelsea's most effective attacking player, even though he would consider himself a number eight. Um, I think that may be something that he wants some assurances over because, yes, he has done a, a job um, and at times a very good job in, in the forward line. But, you know, he sees himself as an eight and I think he would like to play there regularly because he has been chopped and changed and, and maybe that has actually hindered his development to an extent that he hasn't sort of had a position to call his own and, and really sort of perfect um but yeah i mean as things stand i am still optimistic that you know a deal will be agreed and, and he'll stay on at, at chelsea for, for seasons to come much to the chagrin of certain people yeah i'm actually hoping for the 10-year contract and uh, for declan Rice <laughs> to sign on the same day you could just wait the leave the announcement till august and then we can announce both on the same day, smiling, 10-year Mount contract, seven-year <laughs> Declan Rice contract. It's all good. Uh, and, and watch Twitter crumble. More so than whatever Elon Musk can do at the moment. Chelsea could do it in one day. Um, midfield, as I just referenced with Rice there, um, I think targets is, is a little bit unknown at the moment, right? Because Edson Alvarez was kind of a very late one in the window. We've got Dennis Acaria. Um, I more want to ask you about the players we currently have, because I think there is more... Th- Ingolo Kante and Jorginho to me feel as that they're quite clearly linked to this and they're as defining to the way mm. this goes because are we going to give them a new contract? They're senior players. It's going to cost quite a bit if we do commit um, funds to them. I just want to hear quickly sort of your thoughts on on both players uh, because Kante, his ongoing injury problems, but we know how extraordinary a talent he can be when he is fit. And Jorginho, you know, Mr. Durable, but someone who, you know, has a lot of doubts uh, lingering over his head of what, regarding sort of his longevity and and whether Chelsea needs to upgrade on him? Yeah, I mean, this is obviously the, very difficult in terms of Kante because he's going to roughly, well, hopefully be back come February and then he'll have, what, five months left on his contract. I don't think you want to be giving him a new deal before then um, because of the matches he's missed. You don't know exactly how he's going to come back. I mean, if he came back and had another injury issue, I mean, it very much makes the decision for you. Um, so I think that'll be put on, on the back burner. I mean, Jorginho, I've, you know, I've not heard this personally, but there have been reports that, you know, he'd like his wage increase to stay. I'm not sure that would be the smartest move on Chelsea's part. Um, you know, I think Jorginho's had some very, very good moments and, and spells in his, his Chelsea career. I mean, he, he was alongside Kante brilliant on, on the run to the Champions League. Um, maybe hasn't hit those heights over the last 12 months. So it's it's an intriguing one um, in terms of the Chelsea project or process or however you want to frame it, because these are two guys, you know, in their 30s now. Do you really want to move away from them 
uh, or do you really want to keep them when they're not necessarily going to be key figures in the team in, in two or three years' time? So um, at the moment, I'd probably just sit tight and wait and, and see how it materialises. Of course, you then run the risk of them agreeing pre-contracts with, with other clubs. But um, but from my perspective, I think you just have to be patient because we know midfield is a position that, uh, that Todd Bowley and, and the ownership want to look at or already are looking at um, improving next summer. Whether or not they'll do that in January, I think the big thing for me, and this is something I'm still trying to actually clear up, is who will be running the January window from a Chelsea perspective, because we do have a couple of the new uh, recruitment team in already, a couple more on gardening leave. Is it going to be Bowley again, who's leading everything? Are we going to have a more of a collective approach? That still hasn't probably been clarified to me, I mean, and I don't think it's come out anywhere else yet exactly who will be sort of leading the transfer business for Chelsea. So. Once we can establish that, maybe we'll have a better understanding of, of what Chelsea will be doing in January and how they'll approach it. Do we know Vival? I thought was I know Football London were reporting at the time about him having talks with Chelsea. Um, that's seemed to stall. I mean, is, is that still progressing? I know obviously the other ones have been announced. Three of the four, I think, have been announced. Vival's the one that's still kind of a little bit unknown where that is. Well, he, he left Leipzig, oh, it must have been about a month ago, six weeks ago now, and there remains this expectation that he is joining Chelsea. Um, it hasn't been confirmed yet, but you know, I've not heard anything to the contrary um, over the last few weeks that he isn't going to join Chelsea. So, it, um, and, you know, there, there were some sort of whispers that he might be announced alongside uh, Win Stanley, but that, that never happened. So, um, unless something really, really strange has happened in the last couple of weeks, um, you know, he, he is still expected to join Chelsea in the future. Yeah, hopefully no one from Barcelona has been in contact. That That's all I'm hoping for, Touchwood. Uh, thank you so much, Adam, for joining me today and, and giving up your time. Um, just quickly, who's going to win the World Cup? Uh, well, I've got Spain in the office sweepstake and I'm, you know, half Spanish. So I'm going to say Spain and I'm going to hedge my bets and say England because, you know, why not? Fair enough, fair enough. Like it here. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining uh, and as well, go over to Football London, check out Adam's work at Adam Newson on Twitter. That's where you can find all of his work as well. Uh, thank you for tuning into the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Son of Chelsea. If you have enjoyed the podcast, give us a rating review. It really does help out. And if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and the notification bell so you don't miss any of the uploads. And we will see you again very soon. All the best. Podcast Network.